Hey there, and thank you for joining us from wherever you are. This is the SPS Replay podcast from the New York University School of Professional Studies Student Council, featuring our professors, alumni, and members of the community. Every Wednesday at noon, we gather to hear about their career, their journey so far, and the story of how they got here. This week, we are joined by Lance Fensterman. Lance is the president of Read Pop, the quirky pop culture offshoot of Read Exhibitions that he helped create and launch back in 2006. He has led more than a half a dozen acquisitions around the world, and most recently his company acquired some of the largest video game news and entertainment networks like Gamer Network, which includes Eurogamer and Games Industry. The original session was recorded on Zoom and was hosted by Vanshika Chaturvedi. Hello, everyone. Hi, I'm Vanshika. And we have here with us Lance. Fensterman, who, who has served as the president of Read Pop, the quirky pop culture focused offshoot of event giant Read Pop, read exhibitions that you, Lance, have helped create and launch. It is the largest producer of pop culture events in the world. Before the pandemic, the Read Pop portfolio encompassed 44 events in 12 countries around the world, including New York Comic Con, Penny Arcade Expo, Star Wars Celebration. Eurogo Gamer Expo, MCM Comic Con London, and so many more. Over 2 million fans experienced a Repop event in 2019. Leading through the COVID crisis, Repop reorganized itself with a strong move towards digital events, revenues, and products. This was aided by a uh, by an acquisition that they made in 2018, acquiring the largest independently owned video game news and entertainment networks in the world called Gamer Network, which includes Eurogamer, Games Industry, VG247, Rock Paper Shotgun, and others. And the network has nearly 60 million readers and viewers a month. In 2022, I was one of the lucky ones who got the chance to go to the New York Comic Con. I experienced uh, the event live for the first time ever. And I had the pleasure of meeting Lance. And it was just uh, an amazing experience. So welcome. How are you doing? I am awesome. Thank you. That was a really generous introduction with a lot of different factoids and stats. I had one big question though. So I get NYU credit for this, correct? Is it how many credits? Okay, great. I just, I was hoping maybe I could get like, I don't know, executive MBA or something out of this. So you can tell me afterwards. It's fine. Sure. We can, I think we can work something up definitely or a certification at least. That's the least we can do. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. (laughs) So uh, Lance, Tell us, how, you, how did you start in this industry and how did you set your foot in this industry? Honestly, it was a lack of other options. You know, I looked at a lot of different things and no one would have me. So I became like a carny, you know, an event person just going from town to town, you know, mm-hmm. basically throwing a circus. I was joking aside, <laughs> I got, I was in the publishing and independent book selling space and I got recruited to this trade show company to run their big publishing trade show. And I'd only been to one trade show in my life. Um, it happened to be that trade show. So I felt uniquely qualified to run it. You know what I mean? Because I'd been to it and that encompassed 100% of my trade show knowledge was that specific show. So I kind of talked my way in as I've had a, a strong history of doing in, in my life, talking my way into things and then having to figure out how to actually you know, do it. And um, running that trade show, I... I was looking at areas that were growing within publishing and uh, really the two areas at the time, this was quite a while ago, were manga and graphic novels. 
So it's like, well, why don't we do something more with manga and graphic novels and, you know, what's out there? And you start looking around and it was Comic-Con, right? And, you know, the originator of the Comic-Con concept was um, San Diego, uh, now 50 years ago, and just sort of asked the question, like, why aren't, why, why isn't there one of those in New York? And in short, it was just really, really expensive, really difficult to stage. So we came up with the idea of New York Comic-Con and launched it in 2006, and it went very poorly. And by very poorly, I'm being generous. It was awful. The police shut it down. The fire marshal came and was like, just stop. You know what I mean? Like, don't, please don't stop trying. This isn't working. You know, there's crowds everywhere. Uh, It was disorganized mass. So we realized we didn't know what we were doing, but that there was a market for what we had created. And out of that really is what then over the course of, you know, many years, we, we built up Repop and created the brand, acquired businesses, launched new businesses, joint ventures, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's sort of my, my journey into the world of being a, a carny and going town to town and throwing really fun adventures for geeks. That's a wonderful experience to have, I think. How, how long did it take for you to get back after 2006 and what you you said that you know there was a lot of crowd so you saw the potential for it but how long did you take uh, to get back up uh so we apologized which i think uh is really important and i think something that i hope is a hallmark of what read pop has become but also my own personal um style i hope as a leader is is to be human you know and to to be honest and to be accessible and i think there was probably some belief that should we make broad-based apologies around you know, an event? You know, some people got in and had a great experience, but many didn't. And we chose to be, to be, I guess vulnerable is almost the right word, right? To say like, we made a mistake here. And our fan base that we have uncovered is incredibly passionate. They also tend to smell BS pretty quickly. Um, and their tolerance for that is pretty low. And, and you know, we didn't know a lot of this at the time. We were learning it. And so that, in hindsight, doing the right thing turned out to actually be a very good PR move, very, very good for building our brand and building credibility with this passionate audience. And so that helped immediately. And then it was, <laughs> what would I say, like not constant improvement, because that sounds like we're always striving to be better, but rather making a mistake, fixing it, making a mistake, fixing it. And our our sort of mantra became each year, you know, make a new mistake, right? Fix the old one, we grow, we try new things, we'll make new mistakes because, you know, we, we obviously live in a world where you can change the color of the buy now button and the position of it every second. But our business, you know, we get one bite at that Apple a year, right? I get one New York Comic Con that happens once a year. And so you plan all year for it and there's going to be mistakes. So I think my point was we, we apologize, we say face, we improve, but then we kept improving to show there was a commitment to serving this fan base. So, you know, you're only as good as your last last event. I think uh, I heard this somewhere that the best thing about failing is that you get to learn from it and learn how not to do something again. So I think learning from your uh, failures and like learning from the, the mistakes and then incorporating it is the best way to move forward. The, the, we're an expert at that. I'm an expert at that. Amazing. We have uh, <laughs> we are riddled with failures that we could have a whole podcast just talking about the things we've tried that fell flat on their faces. And uh, it's a point of pride, not a point of shame. I, I did want to ask from 2019, that was the last time you hosted before COVID hit. And 2022, if I'm not wrong, was the first time that you hosted in person before COVID hit. So what was the change from 2019 to 2022 in terms of audience perspective and 
otherwise also. Yeah, it's funny. I can't remember if we did any, we did some things in 21, I think the second half of 21, maybe. I can't remember anymore. It was market by market. Okay. And so like New York was, came back quite strong, quite quickly, where the Seattle market, just to parallel two, is still not backed. There, there, there's a lot, there's a more cautiousness there where New Yorkers are a bit more bold. In Florida, where we have a show, you know, COVID never happened. You know what I mean? So DeSantis has, you know, scrubbed it from any, any curriculum and we'll never hear of it again. So like each market was a little bit different. So it's hard to say like, you know, really one general thing. We have found though that brands are unsure of how to engage, right? They're unsure if they should come back, sponsors, how to come back. Then you ran into supply chain issues, you ran into, you know, staffing issues. And so, you know, it's been not one thing, but multiple things that we've worked through with each market, each event being a little bit, a little bit different for sure. It's been, it's been an interesting learning and a certainly a interesting period in which to lead through. So having facing so many challenges for our students, you're like, what is the one thing or even multiple things that you've learned over the course of time where you've worked for, for and with multiple companies? What would be your lesson? Um, I think probably one lesson, if I were to say an overarching thing, is, you know, be nice. Like, and I know that sounds silly, but just not being a jerk over time wins. It just does. Be nice be kind to people, be empathetic, be thoughtful, you know, and you're not going to do it all the time, but if you're aware of it, you'll do it more than if you weren't aware of it. And uh, I mean, do your best and be nice. And I, I really mean it like over time that pays off. I, I, I learned how to do a lot of things while I was at Reed, including international business. And I realized sitting, you know, in Beijing, trying to talk to a publisher about pop culture that I don't really understand. And we're speaking to a translator, but nodding and smiling makes a difference, right? Like that sort of enthusiasm, that warmth, that kindness makes a difference. You know what I mean? And so like work on it. I, I, you know, I'm certain some of you are, are going to end up in very high powered, very competitive jobs where you need to have sharp elbows. But I think that kindness wins over time. The other thing I would say is it's not about you. You know what I mean? It, like it's about the customer or it's about your team or it's about your goals and setting self aside. I don't mean like selflessness to the greater good, but just trying to think slightly beyond yourself typically will come back and pay better dividends, right? Than when you're only thinking about yourself. The third thing I would say is just make the next right decision with the information you have in front of you. And this really hit home during COVID where we just didn't know what was going on. So at the very, if you remember when COVID really took hold in the United States, it was in Seattle. And we were six weeks-ish from running our show in Seattle. So we were really on the front end of this and having to make decisions about, are we running this show? When we didn't know what COVID was, <laughs> we had no idea. We didn't know what was happening in those nursing homes in Seattle. And the King County medical staff was being a little bit cryptic as well. So we didn't know what to do. The point was, you know, we made the, the next best decision that we could in front of us with the information we had, knowing that the situation would continue to change and with new information, we'd next, make the next right decision. And like, that's, that's really been a guidance for me, right? You can't always see around the corner, um, but if you can take what's in front of you and make the best possible decision while being a nice person and not only thinking about yourself, things tend to be okay over time. 
I think those are three some great points that can be used throughout your life in every sort of dimension, not just work, but being human, being nice, you know, just as a person and like even whatever decision, whatever decision you're making, make the next and, and best one if the first one is not working. All of you don't have to worry about this. You're going to NYU. You're going to have a big degree. You're going to be super smart. You're going to be really well networked and you can go forth and do whatever you want. I had to be really nice. You know, that was my path forward. You know, I had to, 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 to be a, 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 not an unlikable character to get my opportunity. So. Uh, you mentioned that you didn't like complete high school, uh, have uh, high education. Did you face any challenges because of that? I think for me, I was just always behind a little bit, but behind in maybe my career development, because um, I had to start by proving myself, you know, on, on more basic levels, right? But in another sense, I was ahead. You know, I, I had already had, you know, three jobs by the time, or four jobs or more by the time some people had just graduated from college and hadn't had a job, right? I'm not suggesting college isn't hard work. I'm not, I'm just talking about my journey. So in one sense, I was, I was a janitor, you know what I mean? Working third shift while other people might've been doing an internship. I was in an entry level sales job going door to door to prove that I was capable, right? Where maybe other people would have entered at a higher level. So I think I was always a bit behind in, in a trajectory, but I always felt like I was ahead because I knew the value of, of showing up and doing the work and not having a, maybe not having an expectation or thinking I'm due, right? Because of something, but rather because I do the work and I show up, you know what I mean? And so, and, and then the other thing I would say is because of the path I chose in terms of my education or lack thereof, for better and for worse, I've just always had a chip on my shoulder, right? I've always assumed people don't think I can do something um, or don't know how to handle that or don't get this or, you know. And so I would always have to kind of lean in a little bit harder mm-hmm. um, and prove myself. And that has positive you know, ramifications, right? Uh, yes. But also negative in that a lot of times people didn't think that about me, but I made an assumption, you know? So back to my, it's not always about you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. like, so th- those are a few things that came out of, you know, my, my, non-traditional path as I like to say so but I, I do have like a slightly funny story I met just yesterday with a uh, an entrepreneur who is a is is a billionaire and this individual also didn't graduate from high school and we were sitting around like having a race to the bottom you know what I mean like well how bad was your GPA well how poorly did you do on the SATs and I was like this is very refreshing to be sitting in this individual's very opulent boardroom you know where he's had of built an amazing company and we're both talking about how poor our traditional pedigree was and that that was sort of a, a ironic moment or bizarre world moment so I think um as you mentioned like some people would not even give you the opportunity because they think that you're not qualified for it. And, but then you have the drive to prove to them that, no, I can do this. So. Yes. And, and, and sometimes I even could. So. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's great. Talking a little bit about your leadership style. I got the chance to see that I met with, I mean, we all, uh, Yanni, I, and whoever went to the Comic-Con we met with Ryan and I think Catherine, I think. So yeah, uh, Christina, probably. Christina, yep, yep, yes, yep. Christina. It was just fun to see your team and the way they interacted uh, with all of us and with you and the way you interacted with them. So how 
how would you say your leadership style is like and what do you think is the best way for other people to like get inspiration from that and like maybe you know take uh, apply that in their lives yeah i think everyone has their own style right so it's yes. it's hard to say this is my style so you know you know you should borrow from it but or not not replicate it but rather borrow from it right there's little bits and pieces now <laughs> when you describe your leadership style i mean you're describing your best your best state do you know what i'm saying like like you know then you veer from that it's like when you do like personality profiling it's like this is how you are um under normal circumstances and this is what you start doing when you get you know stressed and so i'm describing hopefully my ideal i would say that again it's not about you it's about your people and so their success is your success and you know leaders that say things like i my me um done like i just turn off pretty quickly because i know it's not true right it's not true or they're terrible at you know finding talent nurturing talent supporting talent uh, you know what i mean collaboration if they if it is truly i i mean me so it's about your people it's about building their success and watching them grow it's about giving them space setting a goal and giving them space to find their own path to it when we hire i talk about you know what style does someone enjoy you know the 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 environment or the leadership style they like to work under and my example is almost everybody says well i don't like to be micromanaged it's like mm-hmm. yeah i mean nobody likes to be micromanaged i got it but how do you do with the opposite how do you do with no management how do you deal with uh, ambiguity you know and that's a harder question right so if you say to somebody so if you come to me and say well what's my job and i go i don't know what's your job what are my goals i don't know what are your goals <laughs> like how do you do with that like that that takes a different sort of person that is willing to sort of plot their own path and so i'm very much about giving people space in which they can fulfill a vision their own way positivity and teaching moments and again that's in my best state in my worst state i can be very self critical and at times a little too sharp with others right when i when i see a mistake being remade but in my best state positive keep it up like do you know what i mean they they want to know define reality give hope you know the, the you look at like the, we're, we're in you know the end of the football season so i'll use a sports analogy we have those quarterbacks that come over and start screaming at their wide receivers it's like i don't get that like like keep it positive you know because you're going to need those people later and if they're downtrodden or are um um nervous to do the wrong thing they're not they're not going to perform at their best and the other thing i would say is humor part of keeping it light is have a sense of humor right certainly there are some of you here or listening later that you're going to be a brain surgeon and it is life or death but for most of us a lot of us it's not you know so keep it light you know don't live and die on every moment and and have some fun you know like what's the point of any of this if you're not enjoying yourself to some degree so i i think those are some of my leadership traits the others i maybe get into the more questionable like meaning i'm fairly anti-authoritarian i tend to be counter mainstream and so i tend to push boundaries quite a bit within organizations i tend to kind of upset the status quo which can be helpful um it can also be you know alienating to you know 
an organization within a larger organization. It can you know rub people the wrong way, but I'm all about saying why not and pushing boundaries. And I think those are those are positives until they're not, and then they can be negatives, right? And how do you deal with people who need a little bit of guidance, who actually need the answer of what are my goals and what yeah. are what am I doing here? What is my job? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to sit down and give my perspective, right? And say like, you know, if I was in your shoes, these are the things I would be focused on. Or sitting from my position, this is what I'm worried about on your piece of business, or this is what concerns me, right? That's an opportunity for them to say, great, so this is the challenge, or this is the concern, this is where I can go. And I'm also quite happy to offer career advice. You know, do you take any move forward, or do you take the right move forward? And I'm, I'm, it's a part of my job I enjoy and get to do the least, um, but I'm very happy to to counsel. What I don't want to do is tell someone how to do their job because I just think okay. then who then why have I hired them and have I hired the wrong person? Like they they will find their path. Exactly, and I think I I also like the part where you said that humor is very important because we as students face this a lot. Like we take things sometimes too seriously. A lot of us are in our final semester. We are taking things too seriously right now. I for one can speak for myself, but I think humor is really important. Like you need to chill a little bit and like make fun yeah. of yourself and fun of the team. Self-deprecation is a powerful tool. When you stand yes. in front of a group and you're the boss or you're the leader and you can you can sort of take yourself down a notch, it, it creates trust, it creates a vulnerability, it shows a lack of ego, like it, it puts you more closely uh, together, I think, on the same footing. I'll give you a dumb example of humor. So I have another, I have a, a, a peer who's in a different part of the organization and we're peers. Um, and we were having an argument about something and it was via email. And it was getting fairly testy. You know, I think he might, he called me a name or something. And I was just like, fuck is this guy? Like, so I just kind of said like, you know, let's take a break. Let's do this together. I'll be in the office next week. Let's sit down. And, um, you know, I respect you. I appreciate your views. Um, I'll hear you out and I'll take them on board. I hope you can do likewise. So I sent him the meeting invite. It just said, you know, Lance and this individual argue. And that was the title of the meeting invite. And like, I'm not going to argue with them, but I'm trying to take some air out of the situation. You know what I mean? And be like, we're adults, you know what I mean? We're leading businesses. Let's calm down about this conflict. You know what I mean? So th th those sorts of little things can sometimes um, help uh, uh, smooth out rough edges. Or I might have really pissed him off and you know, punched me in the face with this season. I don't know. He's a big guy, so I should be worried about that. Do you, would you say that there needs to be an understanding between the two people till you actually joke about them and joke with them? I, yes. <laughs> I think it depends on the situation. And again, if you're joking about yourself, right? Like it's self-deprecating. If I make a right. comment about your earrings, that's not very nice. You know what I mean? And I don't really know you that well. So yeah, I mean, I think there is a rapport that's required before you're having that sort of dialogue. Yeah. We, we, we talk a lot about within ReadPop, like if you're not being teased a little bit, you should be concerned because you're on the outside. You know what I mean? It's just that sort of group. And I'm sure that's a, a degree of the reflection of, of me uh, and the people then that have come into the org, but it's like, yeah, when, when no one's teasing you, you're you're probably not in, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and you have to work at that to, to access the culture a bit more, so. You're probably not the teasing type then. Yes. You might just take offense to it. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yeah. Amazing. So let's, let's talk a little bit about crisis management. We talked about 2006, we talked about 
the COVID and the transition from COVID, how how do you manage crisis? And like, if you could give another example of um, like the crisis that you've managed, what happened there? What was your learning from there? And how do you deal with that situation? A, in the present moment, B, like afterwards? As much as I try to not make it about me and I try to give people lots of space and in crisis, they want to look, you know, use the quarterback example again. They want to look at a leader who's calm and clear-headed and making good decisions, right? Taking in information and is plotting a path and there isn't gray. Do you know what I mean? And I learned that very much through the, you know, the early days of the pandemic, that Seattle example where people are looking to you going, uh, my customers don't know what to do. What do we tell them? And you need to make decisions. And I, I sat down and very early in that crisis made a list of like things to remember. And they were sort of my guiding principles of leading through a crisis. And it was things like, you know, um, move quickly, but not frantically. Do you know what I mean? Like every decision needs to be made in a timely fashion, but that doesn't mean you have to flail around and freak out, right? Take your time, make good decisions, communicate crisply, show confidence. You can be honest, but show confidence and good spirits in front of your people, especially, you know, more junior people in the organization that don't have close proximity to you perhaps and understand what's going on. They just kind of want to see a certain calmness. Understand that not everyone is going to agree with you in the decision you make, but if you've taken on board as much information and you're making the best decision you believe possible at that moment with all the information at your hands, then be confident even when there's dissent. At the same time, don't be afraid to change your mind. I mean, when new things on board, don't stick with that decision too long, right? That's makes the next right decision. The next right decision may be in total opposite from the one you just made. Be be a big enough person, ego-free enough to sort of change your own decision-making. Always make decisions that are rooted in your values as an individual and a leader, and more importantly, the values of your organization. You know, Don't make decisions that are incongruent with what you believe as an organization um, because of you know, short-term benefit or fear or, right? So I, 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 I have more, but like I really articulated them for myself to help myself be consistent and accountable. How, how would you say you deal with people who are different than what you have as your values, who have different values, who have different behaviors? Tough question. <laughs> it's, no, it's a really good question because, you know, I've, I've I've built this company and I've been there a long time. And one thing I, I fear or I worry about is it's full of people that, you know, think too much like me, right? You know what I mean? And so you want a discourse, you know what I mean? Dialogue is, is chat, discourse is differing views. Um, and so what I think I do well, I try to do well, let me rephrase that, is open it up for disagreement, right? Instead of walking in and going, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. These are the priorities. You know, if I'm driving that conversation, I'm going to walk in and say, I've been thinking about this. I think these are the things that we need to focus on. And I think this is what we should do. But I'm not sure. Like, poke holes in it. 
tell, tell me I'm wrong or argue with me a little bit and then give space for that, you know? And, and once a few people see someone say, I don't agree with you. I, I think we're focused on the wrong thing. You say, well, why? Tell me about it. Like it sets an example very quickly um, that diversity of thought, questioning authority, truth to power, whatever you want to say are, are not just accepted, it's encouraged. And I think that's a way to, um, to make people with divergent views from yours feel comfortable. And I think that's the only, that's probably one of those times when using I is more important because it, you need to show that it's my opinion, but I need to know what you are thinking as well. Totally. I, I didn't even think about the, 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 the tense, which is that you're hundred percent right. Cause you're sort of saying I'm owning this right now, yes. but I'm not sure if it's right. Can you give me a, a, a differing view on it? That's a great point. Yeah. Um, Wow, that's that's I'm learning so much. <laughs> so am I clearly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's talk about something about like personal life in the sense how do you how do you juggle between life and work? Because when I came to Comic-Con, it was amazing, but I also could see how much work you guys were putting into it. For those of you who do not know, like at Javits Center, they had made their temporary offices and it was just and there was food also for all the employees and everything. So it's too much work, especially in the, during when the uh, event is going to happen. But otherwise, also, how is how is life otherwise? Yeah, totally. I get it. And and so, you know, I, I've put three million miles on Delta airplanes in in the last twelve years, yeah. right? Fifteen years. Like last year, I did one hundred and forty flights. I think like I move around a lot, and that has a strain, right? What I would say is. Hey, first of all, priority, prioritize your life outside of work. You know what I mean? Like you have to have some boundaries and, and those can be different for different people, but have some boundaries and prioritize your life on work. The other thing is, and I'm thinking more about interpersonal and relationships, right? Um, choose your partner wisely and try to find someone whose priorities and values align with you, which sounds easy, but like, you know, I had a I had a partner whose who, whose priorities didn't align with mine. So I'm flying all over the world and trying to build a business, and I was really excited about that. Um, and she she didn't want that. She wanted to, she wanted to be home and wanted me home. So you know, she's now home somewhere else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that didn't last. But I found a partner who also values work, and so we were able to sort of meet in that space. You know, and she she loves to work. I love to work we were able to then kind of match. And then as we chose to, <laughs> excuse me, start a family, you know, we then equally found ways to, to manage it and to balance it down and to make sacrifices. So I, I for example, like I live in Florida, uh, my office is in Connecticut and in the UK and I live in Florida and I don't particularly like Florida. I have never had an aspiration to live in Florida, but my partner, her career is big piece of it is based here, you know? So like, we make those decisions together and I say, great, we'll live where you work and then you'll be okay when I'm away, you know, several nights a week because I'm in, in one of my offices or I'm traveling to see customers, right? But we're aligned. So that was, I'm sorry, that was a bit of a ramble, but um, it's really, really complicated um, to find that balance. But everything's complicated. When you make it a priority, it becomes significantly less complicated because you put your time and energy into it. Talking about your job, what is, what is, the one thing that you a love b like and c 
think could improve. I'm not using the term dislike because that's going to be too harsh, but like could improve in your job. Yep. I, I love that I have built an organization that makes people happy, right? That's what we do. We build things that make people happy. And I think, you know, we are existing in an increasingly divisive world. And I don't think it's trite at all that we build fun for a living. That's our job. And what, what an absolute privilege it is to be able to do that, right? And it just so happens that part of that is bringing people together, you know, and you, you, you were at New York Comic Con, you walk around and it is, it is New York City. It is everybody. Everybody, every every walk of life, every every race, every creed, every lifestyle, and they're all together and they share a common interest of something, right? I love that. I like that I get to travel, but it's a lot and that can get exhausting. I don't particularly love the corporate structure that is somewhere above my head and the the pace at which we move sometimes and the number of times you're explaining things as opposed to doing things uh, that I find a bit um, challenging for me and based on everything I've already told you about myself it's probably not shocking that I don't mesh super well with with those sorts of entities and someone someone asked me the other day they were like so you've gosh you've been you know, at, at Reed for 15 years, you know, you built this business, you know, have you had the same sort of executives from the parent company? And I was like, no, I mean, I've had so many and I've, I've outlasted them all. You know what I mean? Like I have my corner of the world that I've gotten fairly good at. Uh, and so at times you want to just, you just want to say like, trust, just trust me. Like, I know, like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know that there's too many people that know better about this space than I do. Just trust me. Right. But I understand. I, I, I know the way the game works. So. Talking about previous companies and maybe the bosses you've had in the past, since all of us will be graduating soon and, you know, getting into new jobs, how would you, how would you advise, how, would, how should we deal with our bosses, whether there are different, different behaviors and different attitudes, yep. you know? Uh, somebody asked a question in the chat about mentorship, and I'll try and answer your question and the mentorship question kind of at the same time. Seek out people you admire and get in their face. Get, get time with them. Like, I mean, it doesn't even have to be your immediate boss. It may be someone else in the org that is doing something you admire or has a style that you like or, you know, has the same taste in music. But it doesn't matter. Like, that is more senior in the org and go and get time with them. Right? Ask them. Like, say mentorship if you want to, but. I don't think I ever said that. I was just like, I saw people and I was like, they're smart. I want to be like them. And I just ingratiate myself. However that worked. You know what I mean? Go to lunch, go to lunch. You want me to help you with that? I'll help you with that. You want me to do like whatever. And at each kind of from high school when I was, you know, struggling to my first kind of professional job, you know, to my, my, my first like running a bookstore to like, I found people that, I admired that I could ingratiate myself to, and that took an interest in me. And at each level, I, I learned something and I built relationships that lasted. 
And I think about it a lot because I know my my view of myself is probably not you know 100 accurate for how other people see me. But I think of myself as approachable. I, I try to be you know casual and non uh, you know there's not a lot of pomp and circumstance around me. But and I always say to you know I have whatever 200 people working for me now, and I'm like. Take time on the calendar anytime. Like you have any question, you don't understand something, you disagree on something, like come see me, talk to me, just just put it on my calendar. It's up to date. And the number of people in my entire tenure that have done that is, I mean, maybe two hands, right? And I just, I mean, maybe I'm not a, a leader that anyone, you know, that, that has qualities people want to emulate. I, I'm very open to that possibility. But I was always surprised that more people wouldn't, sort of say like, I'm, I wanna, I'm curious, what, you know, how, how did he end up doing this? Or what's his view on that? And um, I just think it's an underused, um, it's an underused pathway. And I think mentorship is a strong word because like mentorship is like, I'm going to show up with a notepad and you better fucking say something that's notepad worthy. It's like, or just spend time with somebody and get their views. You know what I mean? Like it's less um, formal and less um, uh, intimidating or uh, comes with less expectation. It's just like, I just think you're smart or bright or creative and I want to sort of soak a little bit of that up. I think it's really important for, uh, we're afraid, we're too afraid to take chances and to like approach people when that is the way to go. Yeah, I think people yeah. think like too much that it's yeah it's an affront or that's not appropriate or and i just don't think those things are true you know i've not found them to be true so it's as you said previously like do more than think more <laughs> yes yeah totally yeah yeah i am gonna wrap this up by asking you fun, one final question and then we'll open the chat uh, the q a's so what advice would you give to your younger self yeah that's a <laughs> an interesting question i always said <laughs> this is so stupid i always said my regret was not learning a trade <laughs> like if i was gonna like choose this path that i chose i should have learned a trade i should have learned hvac i should have learned like like carpentry i should have learned something i could always fall back on okay. instead i always feel like because i always i i look at what you guys are doing and i think like how much smarter you are and that you'll always have a degree from NYU that you can, you can always, no matter what happens to you in the workplace, you can always say like, you know, I'm an NYU grad, I, you know, that's, and I always felt like I'm working without a net. And so I think a lot about it, it could all disappear tomorrow, like all gone tomorrow. Like they get tired of me. I can say the wrong thing. I could swear in a podcast with a bunch of students. Like I just did, like it'll all be gone. They'll find out. And it's like, well then, I can go fix refrigerators. You know what I mean? And so I wish I had taken that. But then my other kind of thing is I wish I'd invested more in my education, right? I wish I had valued that a bit more. I don't have a lot of regrets about my path or where I've, you know, where I've arrived at and everything else, but I wish I'd invested in my education. And so now it's kind of interesting. I have two young daughters and my wife is a doctor. So she always kind of says, like, you know, you need to you need to make sure that you're showing our kids that we value education. I'm like, yeah, 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 but I also want to show my kids that we value work ethic and getting out and doing it. And so we have this interesting balance, right? Wife is a doctor and I'm a high school dropout. And together we're going to raise kids and try and figure out how to piece it together. And I think it's like, it's awesome, right? Like what a great, what a great combination. Ideally, with kids that are smart 
value education, have their mom's brain and, you know, my sort of anti-authoritarian work ethic, you know, like that's a good combo. These, these women are going to change the world, you know? No, I, I, I love that. <laughs> it is a great combination. Do you, do you yeah. still think that maybe you should have had a trade now that you have such a great career and like experience? Uh, yeah, no, for sure. Like, I still think like they're going to find out and it'll all be gone. Do you know what I mean? Like, not, not, not like I'm like, you know, like, you know, have, have my own jet or something like, but I have a good life and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud of my accomplishments and I still feel like, yeah, it'll, like that one bad move, they'll find out and it, it all goes away and I'll be, uh, we I play this game with my wife where you'll be like, how many bad decisions away from, you know, that job am I, you know? So I would right. be like, you know what, one one bad move and I'm going to be the assistant manager at TJ Maxx. You know what I mean? Like that's what I think. So, so uh, we have a question from Jesse. What is your experiences in finding people with like-minded passions to work together on projects with? Sorry, she or he, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, personally finds that it can be hard to find people, especially when it comes to nerd culture-based interests who want to take that passion to a professional level. I found it different. I found that there was a long supply of people with passion for my space that wanted to take it to a professional level, but the majority of them had a hard time understanding that it, it's a job and a job that's hard and boring and unpleasant. And so we would talk, like when we were interviewing for our video game shows, someone would come in and talk about how often they play video games and all the time. And in the back of my mind, it's like, we're not able to do that anymore. Hmm. Like yeah. you're not going to time. You know what I mean? So when you're traveling 40% of the time running shows or whatever, you're not going to do that anymore. So how will you feel about it? And I think there was the, there's a difference between people that wanted to pursue their passion and wanted to pursue a career in a field related to their passion. And those are two different things. You know what I mean? We, I, we started off being very insistent about hiring fans and passionate people. Then we became more, we need, we want to hire Danny Meyer, the restaurateur, we used to say, hey, I want, uh, I want to hire people that derive pleasure from providing pleasure, right? Making people happy. And so it became clear that that's really what we wanted. We want people that, fans, great, but we want people that enjoy making people happy and that gives them a sense of happiness. So then you'll do all the work that's needed, right? And if you're a fan, even better. Right. Would you say you place more weightage on passion or skills? Uh, passion. Passion. And, and, and by that, I don't mean passion for manga or anime. I mean, like, cultural fit. Like, passion for doing good work, for making people happy, for having fun. Like, I, again, you all will probably have big brain jobs. What we do is not, anyone can learn it. It's hard, but anyone can learn it. And so if you care and you're driven and you're going to fit in and you're going to add to our culture, it, like those are the things that matter. And then you'll learn the job. You know what I mean? And so I'll always hire for cultural fit, uh, which includes a passion for the space, a passion for doing good work, a passion for making people happy, whatever it is, right? Um, over a skill set. Um, with with some exceptions, right? Like esports. I mean, somebody that knows esports, like, you know, I need a skill set there, but I'm not going to hire, you know, the old Reed Hastings, you know, no brilliant jerks, like, no brilliant jerks at all, you know? Um, and so you can be, uh, you can be not as talented, but nicer, and you'll get the job. Another question is Is BookCon ever coming back? What is. <laughs> 
your assessment of the south asian pop culture in the global content market according to you how much is the west and the rest of the world ready for that taking the cue from the k-pop invasion i don't know if bookcon's coming back mm-hmm. i think it should and we made um i didn't talk about this but like you know i i, I laid off 40 percent of my team you know you know people i worked with for a decade during the pandemic and we we closed down lower growth events and properties uh primarily in global markets but BookCon and that that publishing trade show I referenced was one of the the events that we we stopped running because it was a lower growth entity. I I love books and publishing and I still think it's an amazing industry. We talk about it often about can we launch something in that space. So I think BookCon will come back in some form, some way um, when we come back. Right, we're almost there. But when we are fully back as a as an organization, it allows us then to start to think about what else we want to do. I think that uh, the growth of anime is unbelievable. I mean, I'm using that you know as a broad sort of umbrella for South Asian sort of content and pop culture. Um, it's unbelievable. Uh, I will say that it is incredibly difficult to. Let me rephrase. We have found it incredibly difficult to unlock that community and really understand and access it. And we have tried, and we have tried, and we have tried, and we've just not done it well. And we used to have an awesome guy that worked for us um, who really was a conduit to that community. <clears throat> he left to a competitor and launched Anime NYC, and it's a killer show, right? You know, we used to joke, he, you know, he's the Rosetta Stone you know, to the sort of otaku community, right? We've just struggled to really understand it. Now, this past year at New York Comic Con, we did incredibly um, well with anime content at the show. Um, so it's possible to have sort of strong South Asian anime content without having a fully, you know, a fully focused anime event. But I, I think like kids don't think of it as anime today. It's just TV, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And that tells you, I think, what you need to know. Yeah, it's not related to one specific culture or country. It's more of a global phenomena. Totally, totally, totally. And I apologize. I kind of kept some, I made some broad generalizations there for the sake of a simple answer. I hope that is okay. Fine. I think our final question. Kindness was one of the strategies that you mentioned for partnering with international companies slash clients. But do you have any other advice on how to form and maintain these international partnerships? My first advice is if you're trying to grow a business globally is um, make informed decisions about your market entry plans. Know where you're going in what sequence and why. We didn't, like I'm an opportunist and I was really trying to sell the idea of what Read Pop is to anyone that would listen. So our first international um, uh, event was in Singapore which doesn't really make any sense. You know what I mean? Like from a, from a, if you were to say what markets are the priority, but they were open, they, they were, they, they accepted us in our business model. And so we found willing partners but that, that, you know, in the end it took energy and the, the, the return wasn't there. You know, we should have looked at other markets first. So make, make good informed decisions. The other thing, and I know this has changed a lot with, you know, these screens, but be present, 
you know, of course I'm in a face-to-face business. Of course I advocate for face-to-face, but being with people matters, you know, like the stuff, the inconsequential stuff that happens between the calls and the video chats is what I think brings people together. So the more you can be with people, you know, a, a, a night of, you know, slightly drunken karaoke in Beijing with a team you're trying to build um, will will go much, much, much further over time, right? Then pick a number of Zoom calls. And so I think be present when you can be present as much as possible to build rapport, to build trust, because there will be, you know, all the stuff, there will be communication challenges, there will be cultural dis, uh, disconnects, all this, you know, like the more that you have a rapport, those things get smoothed over, right? I know that guy, that, he didn't, he didn't mean anything by that. That's not what his intention was. Let's, let's figure it out as opposed to, you know, those obnoxious Americans telling us what to do again. You know what I mean? Like those things help, I think, build build trust. And being with your team, especially, I was reading this a book book by Bob Wagner about the journey of a lifetime mm-hmm. and the crisis in I think I think it was Orlando, the crisis that happened, the firing. He sent the other Bob. Chipak. Uh, yes, he sent him. Uh, he was in. I think he was in China for the opening of the Disney World in China, and he sent him back to the US to like oversee things like go go for it like you know see how our people are doing is anyone heard what is happening so being there for your team is also really important yep builds rapport amazing thank you so much for this Lance I think we all have learned so much today it was hopefully if you get one thing that's something you know what I mean and uh I, I I say this I joke a lot I was joking about NYU and what you're experiencing, but you guys have incredibly bright futures. And I hope that you'll take my my resume, even though it may not be that exciting without a college degree when when I come work for one of you, because I'm certain someday I, I will. And I appreciate this opportunity because getting to, to, to talk about what I do is a privilege. And I really appreciate you allowing me and it helps me understand better what I do too. So um, I appreciate the perspective you've given me. So thank you. We appreciate you, Bob, so much. I, I for one, do. Uh, I know Yanni does, and like people here also do because they're attending this. Oh, now you can hit me up on LinkedIn for tickets. <laughs> okay, yes, people keep that in mind. <laughs> um, but Yanni, over to you. Is there something you want to add? No, um, I just wanted to say thank you, Lens, for taking the time. I know you're busy and you keep, as you mentioned throughout the whole session, be nice. You are always nice. You are always open to me too, especially like I can shoot you an email at any time and without worrying that I would bother you at some point. So that would be like a good opinion that I have about you and also Repop. Um, yeah, so thank you. Thank you everyone for joining. Thank you to Lance Fensterman, and join us next week with Akim St. Omer. The SPS Replay podcast is produced by the students of the SPS Student Council with Allie Weaver, Christine Long, Kyle Ronkin, Megan Fanesto, Nick Fan, Tatan Gangwal, Anvi Rohila, Vanshika Chaturvedi, Sebastian Richardson. Special thanks to the NYU SPS Office of Student Life, and make sure to follow us on social media at SPSUSC and at SPSGSC for more updates and content. Thank you so much for listening, and see you next time.